Thank you, choir. Wonderful messages in song we've had last night and again this morning. And uh, I enjoyed the new piece concerning the Lord being able to satisfy. One of my favourite old hymns in the great hymns of the faith is Satisfied. All my life long I had thirsted for a draught from God's cool spring. Nothing satisfies like the Lord Jesus Christ can satisfy the longing soul. He is so good to us. This morning, uh, before we open the word, I want to encourage you in your prayer, please, to remember Pastor Richard Shellebear from Shoalhaven Baptist down in Nowra. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Brother Shellebear, who has had some ongoing lung problems, breathing problems after the COVID couple of bouts of COVID, uh, was diagnosed actually with uh, stage four mesothelioma. Uh, he's been having a number of tests over the last week. Uh, they have uh, planned to begin an immunotherapy for him rather than a chemotherapy that uh, they are saying may perhaps give him uh, six months to two years. But uh, nothing is a, a done deal when it comes to doctors and their prognosis and plans but we know that his times are in God's hands and I'm very thankful he's been a good friend uh, for many many years and the Lord been a great blessing to me to my family and to many other people and uh, I know the folks at Shoalhaven Baptist would greatly uh, be encouraged uh, in the knowledge of your prayers for him and for them uh, as they go through this they have been seeking uh, to find a, a associate or assistant pastor with a view to taking on the ministry down there. So if you would pray for the Shellebears and for the Shoalhaven Baptists. Also been asking prayer for our granddaughter. Uh, my granddaughter Bella Rogan will be 14 next month. Uh, Bella spent around about 20 months, uh, the last 20 months in and out of uh, various hospitals in Melbourne. Uh, what began as a bout of anorexia and bulimia, uh, some serious health issues, mental health issues there that are of great concern to us. Uh, one of the things that I have asked people to pray for is that the, uh, one of the wards that she's been in at the Royal Children's Hospital, and we're very thankful for the, the doctors and the nurses and the good care we have. In fact, if you've ever had the opportunity to get sick overseas, you'll understand why wonderful, what a wonderful health system we have in Australia, even though we like to whinge about it. You know, that's part of our English roots, I think, to have a whinge. But, um, uh, one of the things that's greatly concerned us is one of the wards there where I visited her a number of times, uh, the walls are plastered with pride rainbows and banners and uh, this is for children aged 12 to 17. This is for children with mental health issues who are already all over the shop, some with anger issues, some with dietary issues, some, uh, you know, have been in abusive situations and their, their heart, their mind uh, is needful of, uh, of spiritual repair, not just physical help. It's not something they can simply write you a script and a potion, a lotion or a pill. And it really grieves me that there seems to be uh, an agenda in some of these health departments to simply connect these people up with the latest trends concerning body tampering 
And uh, it really grieves me to think that uh, we have children, not just my granddaughter, but we have many other children being exposed to this nonsense on the wall there. They've got all kinds of little pamphlets to tell you how you can get in touch with, you know, different facilities and places and people that can help you if you want to be a boy, you can be that, you want to be a girl, whatever. And uh, I suppose we had a thing last year where a couple of places, the girls wanted to be cats and the boys wanted to be foxes and all this rubbish. And uh, these are difficult times anywhere on the planet. But I heard a man say this morning, Brother Gavin made the comment that the, the lunatics were running the asylum. Well, I worked at one of those places many years ago before I was saved. And I can tell you there were days when the difference between the staff and patients was pretty hard to pick. And uh, nowadays it's not hard, it's almost impossible. But uh, if you would pray for our granddaughter Bella and for her uh, mum and dad, uh, for Matt and Kezia and for her family... Uh, if you would uh, just uphold us before the Lord, uh, these are difficult times. Here we are in Luke's Gospel this morning, Luke and chapter 19. <clears throat> Following the testimony of a man named Zacchaeus, the Lord Jesus tells us, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Our scripture reading this morning Chiefly in verse 18 tells us, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, and, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. One of the wonderful things about the gospel is that it does reveal the power of God. That God is able to solve all the world's problems through the precious blood of his son Jesus Christ. I had a story many, many years ago about a fishing trawler that went out contrary to the weather forecast and found themselves caught uh, in the midst of a cyclone, a cyclone approaching the coast and uh, as they were transmitting and calling for help, uh, men were being lost overboard, lives were being taken and all kinds of rescue endeavours were being uh, planned but because of the weather and because of the approaching cyclone, uh, as the newspapers, the newsreels carried each of these uh, reports, uh, you know, they would say rescue thwarted, uh, you know, rescue efforts failed, uh, communication is lost, radio silence, uh, 48 hours until finally one morning the, uh, the newspaper said rescue abandoned. And uh, tragically, a number of men and women lost their lives uh, on that particular event. But uh, the truth of rescue being abandoned has never been written of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed him should not perish but have everlasting life. Every person in this room, every person hearing uh, this message this morning was born with one purpose, and that purpose, whether you are saved or lost, man, woman, boy, girl, black, white, yellow, little green man, whatever planet you're from, we all come into this world with a purpose to live. We read from Hebrews in chapter 2 that for as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part of the same, that through death. We speak of the life of Christ, but oftentimes we forget that his very purpose in coming was he came to die. 
He didn't come to die for himself. He didn't come to die to be an example, to be a martyr. He came to be a sin offering for the sins of the whole world. And this morning, when I think of the gospel message, I think as I spoke at the table of remembrance of the, of the Lord here, I remember the simple gospel message that I heard when I came to know Christ. The preacher preached from the book of Revelation. He preached from a portion concerning the great white throne. He preached from the text that said, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And he then proceeded to talk about the sinfulness of man now having an accountability before a thrice holy God. And man, lost in his sin, dead in his sin, condemned in his sin, has no hope, there is no recourse. Once you and I pass out of this world into eternity, there is no coming back. There is no exit door in hell. There is no, no bargaining power. I was not a good student in school. I was a rat bag. I know it. I admit it. I got into trouble. Over the course of some four years, I was suspended nine times and expelled three times and it cost my parents good money to get me back in the school. Now, I'm thankful for what they did, but for some reason it didn't change the idiot behaviour that seemed to possess this little beast to get in fights, to bully teachers and to, to do all kinds of other stupid things just for the sake of, I don't know, pleasing the crowd. I still remember one of my favourite teachers said to me one day, he took me aside uh, after I'd pulled a prank in the classroom and he said, Hustler, I want you to know they're not laughing with you, they're laughing at you. They don't see you as a person, they see you as a clown. You amuse them. And one day when you're sleeping on the street, they'll think back at how you amuse them, but it'll be no cure for your misery. Strong words. And then he frog marched me out the door up to the principal's office and I got sent home for five days. The funny thing was, I remember every time I went to the principal's office, and it was a sizable walk at my high school, I don't know how long it takes to get from your high school room to the principal's office here, but I would think being on a smaller size block, you, you wouldn't have much. But yeah, the, the thing about a long walk is a person gets to think. And I came up with some absolute rip-snorter excuses. I could stop off at the gym on the way to the principal's office. And if there was no class, I could slip into the gym and put several pairs of shorts on under my trousers so that if he was going to take out the stick, I was ready. Unfortunately, one year they introduced no longer using the tail end, but putting out hands and getting the strap on the fingers. It's funny thing is you try and put spare pairs of shorts on your hands, it's kind of visible. They kind of look at you and realise you, you, you haven't quite caught on. But also be thinking of excuses, simple, down-to-earth, honest excuses such as, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. I wasn't there. Somebody else started it. And of course, they all were very worthless bargaining chips. 
The thing is, many people go through their life and somehow have it tucked away in the back of their little pea brain that one day when they stand before God, they're going to be able to give him some, some cheap excuse that is somehow going to say, God's going to say, well, look, I'm really sorry. Obviously, this is the great white throne for the condemnation of all those who have died in their sin. And I'm so sorry we've inconvenienced you. Please stand over here while I deal with everybody else. Uh, I've got something special in mind for you. It's not going to happen. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And yet that foolishness that man treats with such a haughty arrogance the impotence of men to hold God as if God is going to give account to us. I remember door knocking in Brisbane with the church one day and we came across this old school ma'am teacher. And, you know, in discussion with her about the, the issues of eternity and heaven and hell and God and Christ and salvation. And, and, and I, made the, I simply put forward the proposition. I said, if you were to stand before God today, and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? You know, that old lady looked me right back in the eye. And with a twinkle, she said, when I stand before God, I've got a few things I want to tell him. <clears throat> now, you might do that to your teacher or to your principal and maybe even to your mum and dad. I mean, some of us grew up in a generation where there was once upon, there were only two ways to die. Natural causes or talking back to your parents. You know, but things are different now. But I said, do you mean to tell me you seriously think you are going to scold God like a naughty schoolboy? You are out of your tree. You obviously have a wrong concept of God. And she said, well, I have no time for this and turned around, walked inside and slammed the door. What do you do? You see, the simplicity of the gospel of Christ begins with man being dead in his trespasses and sins. The indictment is upon all mankind for the scripture says all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. It is written there. There is none righteous. No not one. There is not a just man upon the earth. That doeth good and sinneth not. So when this preacher is preaching. From the great white throne text. And I am confronted with my sinfulness. In the sight of a holy God. It was a terrifying experience. But at the same time, it was a liberating experience to hear that this same God who hated sin and must judge and punish sin sent his own son to pay the debt of my sin so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be his child. I still marvel to this very moment at the simplicity of the gospel. But with that in mind, let me ask you, how is it if the gospel is so simple if the very concept of salvation by grace through faith has a simplicity to it, how is it that men and women still die in their sin? If the good news has gone out into all the earth, if according to Titus chapter 2, for the grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, how do people still die in their sin? 
You see, we, we divide the world into classes. We divide them according to income. We divide them according to their social status. We divide them according to ages. We divide them according to places they live or work that they do or places they've been. We divide them according to their gender, whether they be male or female. No, no, we don't have Heinz variety. That's soup. Okay? If I had a dollar for every gender in the world, I'd have two bucks. That's it. Forget about the other 50, 60 something. The Canadians believe that, but they're Canadians. That's why they're Canadians. That's why Americans always want to stress you. If you say, oh, you're Canadian. I am not Canadian. Now, how is it the people die lost? Let's have a look here in the scripture. Look with me for a moment in Luke's gospel and chapter 12. In Luke and chapter 12. Now, a parable is not meant to be stood up on all fours and walk around like a dog. But it can be illustrative. And for you and I, by purpose of illustration this morning, Chapter 12 and verse 16, he says this, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And the context here has to do with a man contending with him over the family inheritance. As if Jesus was going to be somehow satisfy him with his material wants. He says, He thought within himself, this farmer, saying, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Now, as I look at this parable that the Lord gives us here, there are three, a couple of things that stand out. Firstly, I grew up in, in a country town, a large country town, surrounded primarily by the dairy industry. I remember some summers working baling hay, carting hay. When my son bought a property outside of Melbourne some years ago and came to me one, one year in the middle of winter and said, you know, we're going to have hay this year. And I fell down at his feet and I pleaded with him and said, please do not, do not get into the hay baling business. I, I plead with you. I said, I remember when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old having a summer of baling hay. You do not know hard work until you have had a day baling hay. But he never, he, as kids do, they, they're smarter than their parents and, and he went and he bailed hay and, and he's been paying for it. But I realised that, you know, this man is a farmer and farming is hard work. The cows do not milk themselves. The hay doesn't bale itself. The wheat doesn't harvest itself. You have to put in the work. And depending on what particular agricultural you are in, depends on the level of work. We were some 20-something years up in North Queensland, where just about everywhere they grow sugarcane. 
The old farmers up there used to call it liquid gold because there wasn't a lot to do with the cane. After you turned up the soil and put in the shoots and you made sure that it was fertilised and you put out your, your little pesticide baits and you knocked all those things over, uh, that was basically it until the time came to go and harvest that. That's not like that for a lot of other industries. If you're in fruit growing, there's netting and there's pesticides and, and there's pruning and all this other stuff. And then comes the picking season. And you know, if you don't have the workers, you don't get the produce. And if you don't get the produce, you don't get the money. And if you don't get the money, well, you know, you're in trouble. So all of these. Now, what I'm saying here is it says here, the ground of a, of a rich man brought forth plentifully. So obviously this man must have worked very hard to get such an increase. Now, I do have to point this out to you. It says there, a rich man. I've actually heard preachers get up in the pulpit and say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible tells us money is the root of all evil. It does not. The Bible tells us the love of money is the root of all evil. If you have money, praise God, I'm happy for you. If having money bothers you, come and see me after the service. <laughs> bring your wallet, bring your purse. I'll make you a happy person. I'll make me a happy person. How good's God, huh? There you go. So this man here, now the, the problems begin here when he says, what shall I do with my fruits? I have no room. He says, I'll pull down my barns and build greater. Immediately you would think, hang on, shouldn't you build before you pull down? I mean, if you pull down before you build, what happens if something goes wrong with the building and now you've got no room to stow anything and you may end up losing the lot? But you see here, there's three things in particular we want to take note of. He says, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater and say to my soul, soul has much goods laid up for many years. This man measured his wealth on, in accordance with his bank book, not with his Bible. There are people in the world today who think that they are rich because they have material things. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And then our iniquities like the wind have carried us away. You notice there in, in, that, in that testimony from Isaiah 64 and verse 6 that he says our righteousnesses. He doesn't say our bad deeds. He doesn't say our wickedness is as filthy. He says our righteousness the very best we can do of ourselves in the sight of a thrice holy God is unclean, unworthy, unacceptable to him. Because it's tainted by our sin, by our selfishness. It's tainted by our corrupt desires and deeds. This man did not see himself as a sinner. This man mistook his bank book for his Bible. This man mistook his body for his soul. He said, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Your soul does not have Vegemite on toast. Thank you to my gracious hosts, uh, the Alvarez, at a feast of peanut butter and banana on toast last night. Vegemite on toast this morning. I'm living the life. but I was feeding my body. 
not my soul. You see, there's a serious problem when people think that because they're physically fit, they're spiritually fit. Now, I don't know if I didn't actually look around on my little walk to church this morning, but I know when we drive to church in Melbourne, it takes us 25 to 30 minutes, and we see the people out there on the sunny days like today, which we get two or three times a year in Melbourne, and we see them out on the footpath running around in their leotards and their little exercise shorts, stopping in the intersection and jogging on the spot, because, you know, if you stop, you may never get started again. Yeah, and they're looking after the body and that's all very well. I mean, we've got gymnasiums all around the place today. 24-hour gyms where you can go in and jump on the treadmill and lift weights and pump iron and do all that sort of stuff. That's all very well. But a good physical body is not an indication of your spiritual condition. Bad mistake. If you are enjoying good health, praise God. But your good health is not an indicator of your standing before God. And then lastly, I see this man mistook time for eternity. He says, I have much goods laid up for many years. He's thinking he's got years left. What does he, what does he think? He's Methuselah. You know, oh, well, I'm going to be around for another 900 years and I'm only 69 years old. And so, you know, I've got another 900 years. Don't worry about it, folks. You'll be right. What does the scripture say? That our life is but a vapour that appeareth for a time and then vanisheth away. That we spend our days as a tale when it is told. Job said, the years of my life are swifter than the weaver's shuttle. The wise woman of Tekoa said that we must needs all dine as water that is spilt to the ground and cannot be gathered again. And David confessed to his friend Jonathan that there is but a step between me and death. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this judgment. You know, the greatest mistake this man made is the most common mistake in the world today, and it is the mistake of neglect. He's thinking about the future, he's thinking about the food, he's thinking about the finance, but he's not thinking about heaven. He's not thinking about eternity. He's not thinking about God. Multitudes, multitudes, multitudes of people in the world, they have no idea at all that judgment is coming. They give no thought to the fact that one day, oh, they'll go to a wedding, they'll go to a funeral, and, and at the end of the day, it's just another celebration. I preached at a funeral, and at the end of the funeral, the funeral director came, and said to me, do you live around here? And I said, no, I'm, I'm from Queensland. And he said, do, do you get down here very often? And I said, well, probably uh, maybe half a dozen times a year. And he said, listen, any time you're going to be down here, if you're around, he said, let me know. He said, I would love to have you do funerals for me. Wonderful. I <laughs> just love a good funeral. <laughs> And I, but I had to say, why? He said, today is the first time in over 20 years I've heard someone actually open a Bible and preach at a funeral. He said, I've been doing this for over 40 years. He said, it's been more than 20 years since I saw somebody actually bring a Bible and preach the gospel at a funeral. 
He said, and that's what people need to hear. And he went on to share his testimony with me that he'd grown up in a brethren home and, and he had trusted Christ his Saviour when he was a teenager and all that. And he said, you know, I go to a small, uh, a small uh, community church out here out the other side of Ballara. And, you know, he said, but, you know, in funerals, he said, I said, well, what do they do? I said, they not, if they don't open the Bible, I said, well, then he said, oh, they sing songs, they tell stories, read poems, have jokes, you know, just basically, and then they all go out and they get drunk off their brain. He said, normally as the director, he said, I get invited to come to the wake. He said, I haven't been to a wake in years because it, it's just shameful. That one hour ago, everybody was standing at the graveside, bawling their eyes out. And now here we are all standing around, knocking back beers and, and, and just having a great old time. And somewhere between the graveside and the beer barrel, they forget that they're next. That eternity is waiting for them. That that heartbeat is just a muffled drum marching to the grave. It's appointed unto man to die. Have you neglected something? You say, well, I'm, I'm a member of the church. Being a member of the church won't save you. You say, well, but preacher, you don't understand. This is Australia. This is Australia, right? We're a Christian country. Really? Well, tell me, my friend, if a mouse is born in a biscuit tin, is he a biscuit or is he a mouse? Living in Australia no more makes you a Christian than walking into Woolies turns you into a packet of Tim Tams. We are lost, guilty, hell-deserving sinners and we are dangling by a gossamer thread over hell and God in his wrath at any time is quite within his rights and his reasons to loose his blade and send us plunging out into a Christless eternity where we are lost and burning forever in the lake of fire without hope, without mercy, without pardon and we are getting what we deserve. Are you saved? Or have you neglected this greatest of all needs? This is not about your money. This is not about your job. It's not about your house. It's not about your wardrobe. It's not about your friends or your conduct. It's not about your Facebook page. I don't even call it Facebook. I call it Face 8. A friend of mine calls it Two-Face page. I said, why is that? And he said, because everybody I know that's on it's got one face on there, but they've got another face out in the world where they're living. We can be as pretentious as we like, but God's not being pretentious when he tells us the soul that sinneth it shall die. But listen, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Have you neglected salvation? Have you been like this man too busy? Yes, he's been prosperous. Yes, he's been successful. Yes, I dare say he has worked hard, but he has neglected the greatest need a man has, the need of salvation. Let's go over a few pages to Luke and chapter 18. In Luke and chapter 18, in Mark's gospel, we have this same testimony. It's referred to as the rich young ruler. Very few variances 
But here in Luke 18 and in verse 18, a certain ruler in Mark's Jobs it says, he came running and kneeled down. Imagine that. A wealthy young man with a position of power comes and kneels at the feet of this stranger from Galilee. The young ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not be a false witness, honour thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. And when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, Sell all thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. In chapter 12, we have a wealthy, hard-working farmer who's just too busy. But here, this young man, we have a young man who can testify of his own morality. Jesus begins to go through the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Four that a God would, six that a man would. Interestingly enough, he only got through five of them. Is it possible the young man uh, interjected or interrupted? All these have I kept from my youth up. We, we didn't get to the idea of idolatry. This man didn't neglect. This man came seeking. This young man wanted to know, what must I do? It's not the only occasion Jesus was asked. In John's Gospel, we're told that the people came and said, what must we do that we can work the works of God? And the response there was, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. It's not a doing, it's a believing. For this man here, he's not neglected. And he is confronted and challenged with that sin in his life, his love of his money, his wealth, and the Spirit of God in great wisdom for you and I to understand says, when he heard that he was very sorrowful for he was very rich. He's a love of the money, you know? And he came to Jesus and he said, what must I do? And said, okay, you want to do something? Do this. <coughs> Give it all away. It's a totally different spirit to chapter 19 in Zacchaeus when he says, Zacchaeus' conversion says, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded any man, if I've taken anything wrongfully, I restore it fourfold. Jesus' own testimony was, surely salvation has come to this house. But this man here, no. I was in a church in North Queensland many years ago. Back then we used to have weeks of meetings from a Sunday through to a Sunday. We did that back here, I think, in 95. We had a Sunday through to a Friday. It's wonderful. 
This occasion on a Sunday through a Sunday. Sunday mornings, a young couple sitting out on the side, skinny little church. Four chairs, four chairs, <laughs> squeezed together. In one of those aisles where you have to walk sideways. You know. This couple that were invited along by friends, you know, I work with this couple. I work with this guy and my wife works with his wife. You know. And uh, yeah, they've come to church. So there's Sunday morning and Sunday night. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right through to the following Sunday night. Every night they were there. We started off doing a series on the, on, the, on the things of the Spirit of God, the workings of the Spirit of God in the world of men. Just think for a moment of all the things God's Spirit does in the world in which we live. Amazing. Amazing all the things the Spirit of God can do in the life of a mere mortal man who is yielded to him and obedient to him. The enrichment, the empowerment, the enlightenment that God is able to give to those that yield themselves to it. And on the Sunday night, this young couple came to the pastor and I said, we'd like, we'd like to talk to you about some of the things we've heard this week. We've been talking about it every night. After every service, we go home, we stay up late, drinking coffee and, and talking about it. You know, and back with the thought. And we've been talking to our friends and they suggested maybe you need to talk, to talk to the pastor, talk to the preacher. So we said, okay, well, when would you like to drop? They said, well, tomorrow afternoon we'll be home from work about four. If you could come around about five o'clock. So, okay, so we're going to this house and, and we, were, we were rejoicing. It's great. And we get to this house and we sit down and the, the, you know, the tea kettle goes on and cups of coffee and cups of tea and you know, a little plate of biscuits on the table and we start chatting away and then finally this guy says well I want to ask you about the Bible and so we went over some things so how do you know the Bible's true and I said, you look at the declaration of scripture you look at the history of it look at the prophecy of it look at all the proofs of it you know and, and you know, or what about Christ how do we know that and when all these different things and then finally we got round to the gospel and went through the gospel and then finally the lady sitting at the end of the table said that's what I want to do. I want to trust Jesus Christ as my saviour. Praise God. Praise God. What a blessing. Then the young fella turns around and says, yeah, I want to do that too. I, I, I believe I need to be saved. I, I, I understand it. I, I know what I need to do. Praise God. And so then we started talking about, you know, trusting Christ, that it's an, it's an act of faith. It's not a matter of what prayer you pray or what verses you heard. Or it, it's an issue of the heart. And in the midst of it all, all of a sudden the guy says, well, hang on, we're not married. So if we were to become Christians, we should get married, right? No, I didn't say it. Pastor didn't say, you two living in sin? Nobody saying this young guy said we're living together and it's not right if we got saved we would we if we became Christians we should get married and I said well yeah that'd be great that'd be good like when I came to Christ stinking of a brewery the pastor didn't say to me well you can't get saved tonight until you sober up or you can't come you can't come to Christ until you get a you know, go and get a bath and stop drinking. No, he didn't talk to me anything about the things of my life. He talked about my need of Christ, and that's all we talked about was the need. But this guy said, "Well, you know, so we, we would have to get married." And we said, "Well, that'd be that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be good." 
And so he pushed back from the table and he said, well, I don't want to get saved. How'd you like to be the sweetheart at the end of the table? Because this guy just said, I'd rather go to hell than marry you, woman. Ouch! We said, well, look, there's nothing we can do about that. That's between you and the Lord and you and, uh, and the lady here. But she said, no, I, I, I mean it. I want to trust Christ the Saviour. He knew he's now going to be in the doghouse. And I'm wondering, should we call the police and get him in protective custody for the next few days until the wife cools off? Because she's about to, to trust Christ and be on her way to heaven. But before she gets there, she's going to take a big piece out of him. He wasn't neglecting. He was rejecting. You know, there are people who, when they hear the gospel, God puts his finger on something in their life that he knows, he knows, this is going to be a problem. Let this go. And what God wants is a willing heart to say, yes, Lord. Now, some weeks later, he did get saved. Probably after he got out of hospital from being half beaten by his girlfriend. But, <laughs> but he didn't neglect. He'd been hearing and hearing and hearing. He's been working with a guy for over a year who's been witnessing to him. His wife's been working for six to eight months with a woman who's been witnessing to her, who has befriended her, who has comforted her, who has helped her with sick children. A couple who have put their hand in their pocket and given her their own substance, who've been a real Christian witness to this couple. And then they willingly came along for eight days of meetings in a church, hearing the preaching of the gospel, hearing the preaching of the teaching of the word of God and God was doing a work in their heart and all of a sudden there was a brick wall for one man and it, and it was because he knew in his heart this is not right. Today it's okay. I mean marriage is just a piece of paper. So it doesn't matter if it's Adam and Eve and Adam and Steve or whatever. Yeah it does matter. Listen, my friend, when you enter into marriage, marriage is God's institution, not man's. God's the one who began marriage. God's the one who set the standard. God's the one who gave the order. God did that. Right back at the very beginning. Yes, I have gotten off trial, but that's all. Have you rejected? Not neglected. Because we could look at another one there, the execution of Stephen, where they didn't neglect or reject, but they objected. They objected so strongly to the preaching of the gospel that they killed an innocent man. A spirit-filled innocent man. A spirit-filled servant of God. And they murdered him, laying their garments at the feet of Saul of Tarsus, and they objected to his preaching. So you this morning, have you neglected? Too busy? I get that. If you're a parent, I really get that. If you're a grandparent, I really, really get it. We often think that when their kids grow up and they're adults, that, you know, 
great, you know, now, uh, no, no, now we have the grandparenting babysitting service. And now there's all these other things, you know, they're constantly, there's still other needs. You know, and, and I love it when my kids come to me and say, Dad, you know, we're thinking about this. What do you think? What do I think? Oh, I don't know what to think sometimes because some of the problems they're facing with maybe with a building or maybe with a business or maybe de dealing with persons. I can give you lots of insights on how to deal with people. Got a baseball bat? That'll solve a lot of problems for you. Take them out the back. That'll fix it. Hire a hitman. Look up on the gun tree under, under assassinated, whatever. But the greatest need that is met is not met by the arm of a man. In fact, the Bible tells us, cursed is the man that put his trust in man that makes his arm his strength. We need to know Christ. This is the greatest need we have. Your greatest need is not better education or a bigger house or a nicer car or another job, more money in the bank or better health even. The greatest need every person possesses is the need of Christ. But for multitudes, they have neglected. Many have heard and understand. They cannot plead ignorant. They cannot say we didn't know. They know. But confronted with the knowing and the repentance toward God and the faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ, they've said no. And until such time as they repent of their sin and trust Christ, they will stay dead in their sin. Is that you? Even here in church, even in the choir, even in the ministry, you can still be dead in your trespasses and sins. But praise God, you can still be saved if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's take a, take a moment to pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the simplicity of the gospel. Thank you, Father, for these illustrations from your word one that was a very real life of this rich young ruler who said no to eternal life that he may hold on to his wealth. Lord, there's a part of my heart that desires to think that on the walk back to his money bin, he rebuked himself for his foolishness and his greed and went back to the Saviour. But Lord, multitudes of people go away even more lost than they came when they come under the sound of the gospel. And Lord, it's my prayer this morning for that one here that does not know Christ, that does not have assurance, that does not know where they're going to spend eternity, that does not even understand the need of forgiveness of sin because we are sinners. We need your forgiveness. We need your cleansing. And it will not be by works of righteousness which we have done. It will not be by our good works or our clean living. Clean living might keep you out of jail, but it won't keep us out of hell. 
Lord, I pray you'd speak to hearts this morning for that one here that does not know the Saviour. You do a mighty work in their heart. I pray for that one needing assurance, not knowing, not certain of where they would spend eternity. With our heads bowed while no one's looking round about, can I ask you this morning, my friend, are you here and you would say, Preacher, I do not know Christ as my Saviour. I do not know where I'm going to spend eternity. This you do know, my friend. You do know on the authority of God's word, death is coming. Our cemeteries testify that we are fighting a losing battle against death. You may have doctors and you may have pills and programs that can give you a few extra years of life, but nothing in this world can give you real purpose and meaning of life that can only come through God's forgiveness and knowing his son, Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, if you've never trusted Christ as Saviour or you are not sure where you spend eternity, you're not sure whether you are saved or not, yours is a, a soul filled with uncertainty. And you would say this morning, preacher, would you please pray for me this morning? Could I pray for you, my friend, if you're here without Christ, you're here not knowing needing assurance could i pray for you this morning for that need that is your need my friend would you just quietly slip up your hand where you are i'd like to pray for you i'd like to pray for you i'm not going to call out your name or point to you i'd simply like to remember you before the lord in prayer this morning as god speaks to your heart anyone at all young or old man woman boy or girl say preacher would you pray for me i'm not sure I'm not certain. I don't know. My friend, you need to know. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that ye may know. You can know and my friend, you must know. Anyone at all with that need this morning, could I pray for you? Just put your hand up and put it back down. Our Father, we're thankful you've promised your word will not return void. It will prosper in the thing whereunto you've sent it. And we're thankful for that. We thank you for each one here who knows Christ as Saviour. The joy that is ours to know Christ, to know your forgiveness, to know life everlasting in him, to know the blessed hope that belongs to every child of God. Father, may we indeed rejoice as we remember that day when heaven came down and glory filled our soul when we trusted and received Christ as our Saviour. Continue to speak to hearts. We'll thank you for what you do. In Christ's name, amen.